0: Uh, We believe that that is the future of the church. And what we've seen is that in the last eight weeks, we're in our last part of our Fearless Love series. In the last eight weeks, over a thousand people have listened to these sermons. And I believe that if people would stare at a blank screen, they're going to watch a video. And uh, I believe that more will come because of what we're doing in this place, not for our glory, but for God's. So November 16th, be excited. November the 18th should be our first Sunday with our entire full... A coloring, lighting display, everything, the whole nine yards. And so we're excited about that. You should be excited. Um, it's going to look like a club. I'm just kidding. It's going to be awesome, club citywide, whatever, you know. Someone's going to say it, but we're going to say it first. It looks like a club in there. I'm just, but uh, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He did not say, I am the white light, the yellow light. He could be the red light, the blue light, the pink light, the green light. I am the light of the world. And uh, that's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Uh, somebody say, Amen. But I'm excited today just for what God is doing. Come on, turn with me in your Bibles. Romans, the eighth chapter. We're going right back to where we've been for the last eight weeks. For those of you who have not noticed, um, some people have not noticed, but in this past eight weeks of this sermon, we've stuck to the same chapter in the book of the Bible. And that is Romans, chapter eight. Some people are like, really? I didn't even notice that. And that's probably because you don't take notes in church. And uh, that's okay, because I've learned that people who take notes, in church, go to heaven faster. Um, don't ask me to back that up scripturally because I can. not But what I do know is when you take notes in church, uh, you're, when you have a private time with the Lord, you can reflect on that and stay in the vein of what the ter- church rather, has been teaching and uh, it helps you. It just really blesses my spirit and I think it'll bless yours too, amen? So you might say, Pastor, I don't have a pen. That's fine because we have this thing called cell phones. And in most cell phones, they have this application called memo or notes, Notes if you have an Apple phone. Memo if you have an Android <coughs> phone. And so um, on my iPhone 5, it has, uh, I have the new iPhone 8000. So um. <laughs> anybody excited about God? Last night, I went to New Haven. Oh, my, my, my good friend, Justin Kendrick, who pastors City Church in New Haven, he brought the um, Boston Night of Worship to Connecticut. And so we had Connecticut Night of Worship at the Schubert Theater in New Haven and uh, to be honest, they turned away hundreds to my knowledge because the place was just too full. And the thousands came and they had about sixty five praise and worship leaders making one choir. It was not about any church. It was not about nobody but God. And it, it was one of the greatest times I've had just worshiping God. And I was able to be a part of the um a part of the actual uh the actual I don't want to say show but the actual event. I was on the I was on the ballot there and, and, and I was just able to lead a prayer and it was so impactful because it wasn't about me it wasn't about God it wasn't about the 70 worship leaders most of them worship pastors it was just about God it was an amazing day and then, so if you missed it um, that's your problem as you can see I have, I'm like a ball of energy today and it's because I went to that and I'm like totally recharged and, and God just really blessed me And so next year when it comes around uh, don't be lazy. Amen? Let the church say amen. I'm just playing. Seven weeks now, we've covered the topic of fearless love. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, fearless love. Uh, looking at Romans 8 in its entirety, we've looked at the entire chapter, which denotes God's eternal plan for us. If you've not realized, throughout the chapter of uh, Romans 8, it's, it's a, a, in theology and doctrine, they call it eternal security. Eternal security is the fact, and not the opinion, the fact that your salvation in Christ is secure eternally. That you are forgiven. I don't know about you, but the last eight weeks, the more I preach this, the more the enemy comes after me with trying to give you thoughts of condemnation, but yet the more I realize that as long as I am in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. He's given me such freedom and such just knowing that God loves me. So we looked at all this stuff, and if you've missed it, hey, join the 1,000 people online who've listened to it and log on to our website, and you can listen to it there, all seven parts that come prior to this one. This is your first day. Amen? I don't want to go through everything that we've covered, but yet I would like to continue in that same vein. Last week we talked about being more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Amen? I don't know about you, but I had a great time last week, and I believe that God has something even greater for you today. Romans, the 8th chapter. I'm in verse 38. Come on. Paul writes one of the most famous pieces of Scripture when he says this. Is anybody ready for this? Are you ready for freedom in your life? My Bible's a mess. I found out that if my Bible is torn apart, my life is not. That's what I've heard, and I'm going to stick to that one, too. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am persuaded. I am persuaded. In the Amplified Version, Paul says, I am persuaded beyond doubt. Are you here with me today? That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, impending and threatening things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation is able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, eight weeks ago, maybe nine weeks ago, I wanted to preach that verse. And so I said, let find a starting point. And I walked my way up the whole chapter and I said, how can I preach this one verse, if I don't preach the whole chapter, and then henceforth, fearless love, eight weeks. So I've been waiting eight weeks to be able to tell you that God's love for you is inseparable. Yeah, this is mind-boggling in light of the fact that on some days, you don't feel God gives a hook about you. In light of some days that you feel you've done things and acted in ways that God could never possibly love you, but yet right there, Paul makes it plain. If you're under the sound of my voice today, I would challenge you, you are God's elect. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 37, that we talked about last week, Paul talks about who would bring a charge against God's elect, meaning the chosen, saved ones who are giving their lives to God, fighting for everything they have. Who? Tell somebody next to you, you are God's elect. Come on, grab someone's hand around you. We're going to pray right now and just begin to seek God. Can we do that today? Just seek God. Is that all right that we seek God in church today still? Amen. Heavenly Father, come on. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence and we ask you first and foremost, have your way. Come on, somebody say right now, have your way. way. We give you the opportunity, God, to take total control over our ears, our hearts right now. For Father, we came here because we desire, with all of our hearts, to hear from you. And so, Father, make us attentive. Let no distractive thoughts come our way. Let us not be distracted by our cell phones. Let us not be distracted by the things of this world as we focus on your heart for just the next 20 minutes, God. May you have your way in the midst of your people. Jesus' mighty name we pray. Romans 8 is filled with some of the Bible's most well-known scriptures. There is no condemnation in Christ. You are more than conquered. If God is for you, who can be against you? Romans 8 is filled with some of the greatest scriptures in the Bible. Paul opens verse 38 with an astounding statement. Paul declares, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Paul's choice of words here is extreme. And you should understand that the Holy Spirit did not give him that word by accident. That word persuaded means to be convinced in full with proof to be convinced. Paul was persuaded beyond doubt, beyond any doubt, worry, or anxiety that God's love could not be taken from him. I got about three amen. That's all right. There's no doubt that Paul has this through. He's weighed out this statement and found it to be accurate. Paul was firmly in the embrace of God, and he fully understood God's immense, fearless love. Paul is looking all over his life and seeing what God has done for him. And he declared in Romans 8 at its uh, climax, I guess you can call it, and he says, but I am persuaded... In light of all the things that I just said, verses 1 to 37, in light of all of that, nothing can separate me from God's love. I want want you to really just saturate that with your heart. I want you to tell yourself that right now, it cannot be separated from me. Tell yourself. You hear that? God's love cannot be taken from you. God's love cannot be removed. I don't care if a church has rejected you. I don't care if your family gossips about you. I don't care if someone's turned their back on you who called themselves a believer and denounced you because you have struggles in your life. God's love cannot be separated from you. Can we talk about that just for the next few minutes? Paul is firmly in the grasp. Of God's love. Realize, Paul was not perfect. Romans chapter seven. If you look at it in your own time, and we should read the Bible as believers. Paul, chapter, in chapter seven, he declares a, a number of things. But a, amongst some of the greatest things, Paul says in Romans seven, he says that he struggles daily, and every time he desires to do good, that sin overtakes him, and every time he desires to do sinful things, that he has to fight. And Paul, he talks about how he's fighting. Paul, he who wrote probably two-thirds of the New Testament of the Bible, he has to talk about how he struggles daily with sin. He wrestles. He says, I see this law, meaning this law of sin, at work in the members of my body. And sometimes I can't control myself from sinning, Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about his struggle with sin. And so I don't want you to look at the Apostle Paul and think angels are singing. He's a normal man just like you and me, a man dealing with issues like you and me, a man dealing with temptations like you and I. We have a propensity to take the scriptures and the people in the Bible and put them them on this pedestal that only Jesus should be on. You look at Peter. He preached on the day of Pentecost, and by the end of the week, 8,000 were saved. But 52 days prior, he chopped someone's ear off. Prior to that, he was kind of almost yelling at Jesus, saying, you're not going to die. He grabbed, the Bible says he grabbed Jesus by the arm, and he yanked him. And said, don't don't talk like that. You're not going to die. We're here. We got your back. Rolling around with a knife all the time, chopping people's ears off. And then Jesus healed the guy right after he cut his ear off. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be very upset if I'm rolling with Jesus. And I chopped his ear off. He's like, "No, Lewis, don't do that." It puts a Really? I stepped out in faith and chopped you. You were supposed to run, but you picked up the ear. I was trying to help you, Jesus. What, what are you doing here? But think about who Jesus hung out with: tax collectors and sinners, who became his disciples. Matthew, a tax collector. And if you don't know history, tax collectors in those days were the crookedest. They were the Joe Danums of our time. <laughs> I'll leave it alone. <laughs> I offended the Democrats. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They were the people who are crooked in government. They were the robbers and thieves. But yet Jesus called them into his service. They were not holy rollers, holier than thou. They were unconventional, unprecedented, and untrained. And they only had three years of teaching under Jesus. In our times, that's not even enough to get you any type of degree. And associates at best. And so look at Paul. A regular man struggling with sin just like you and I. And he declares, I am persuaded. Meaning it has been proven to me because of the life he lived and because of the way God used him in spite of everything. I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. God's love is so powerful. Romans chapter 8 verse 7. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. It declares to us that we are enemies of God. Do you realize that you were an enemy of God? The Bible says that we as humans, are enemies of God. But yet his love was so great that when he sent his son, enemies became friends. And now you can say, I am not an enemy of God. I am a friend of God. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. But you don't understand that that his love was so strong, it turned enemies into friends. Jesus made a way god to love you paul has been through all things possible he's been persecuted for the gospel found himself in sin he was shipwrecked he was hurt he was all types of mess in his life he was beaten in prison and yet he is persuaded that in spite of all these things that he's done and that he has gone through god's love is inseparable in his life i need you to understand this today doubt was gone from paul's mind Question surrounding who God was and no, does God love me? It was all gone because he was firmly in the grasp of Jesus. His arms are hanging around the neck of his father as he embraced God's love. He was firmly in place with God. Enemies became friends for God. Paul was convinced beyond doubt that it was impossible to ever be separated from God. And here's the main reason why. Because when you accepted Christ, Jesus said in John 15, if I abide in you and you abide in me, you became one with Christ. You may not understand this yet. So how can God reject you if you are one with his son? Then he would reject his son. Maybe that's too deep for you. That's too... Could you imagine the church is the body of Christ? The Bible teaches that. We are the body of Christ. It never says we are the church. The original language, the word church, isn't even in the Bible. It says we're the body of Christ. Could you imagine that God will reject you, the left leg of Christ, because you had some things wrong when you came into Christ? God wrapped you in the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus took on your sin, God sees you as blameless and holy, righteous before Him. Not because of anything you've done, but because of grace. Paul understood this and he was convinced God cannot reject me. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, God's love for me is eternal it is everlasting is anybody here with me today God's love for us is unconditional and never-ending maybe today because of hardships and difficulties you don't feel attached to God or even remotely loved maybe sometimes because of life's uncertainties and difficulties you brought into the rather bought into the life that God does not love you because if God loved me why am i going through such things if God loved me, why is my mind always this way? Why am I always feeling that way? Why am I always feeling this way? Why can't for one second you stop and say, God does love me, and that is why he provided a way out for me to escape from my own choices? Because if you look back over your life, you're in a place where your choices got you. You're in a place where your bad decisions have culminated into what you're now is, and now you're depressed. And now you're oppressed, and now you're hurting, and now you're tired, and now you're broke because you couldn't manage your money. But God never helped me, and God this, and God that. God's love for you is unconditional. Regardless of the situation you're in, God's love for you is powerful. And it is attached to you. It is inseparable from you. You cannot judge God by your circumstances. You can't judge God by your now. I can never tell you enough how much God loves you. Husbands, you can never tell your wives enough how you love her. Wives, you can never tell your husbands enough enough that you love him. Likewise, I as a pastor would be remiss if I did not tell you how much God loved you in spite of and in light of your lifestyle. Somebody say, God loves me. I would challenge you to understand and embrace this awe-inspiring fact that nothing could ever, ever disqualify you from God's love. Nothing could ever separate you from God's love. Nothing you've done, no place you've ever gone. Nothing, somebody shout nothing, Nothing. could ever separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Paul pulls on this theme. You see, because of sometimes, because of shortcomings and sin, you might feel inadequate. How many of you ever find yourself in a place of sin and felt inadequate to God? For the truth be told, you'll never be adequate to God. God loves you. While you were still yet a sinner, he sent his son to die for you. Somebody shout, Amen. Because of what we've lived, how we've talked, the truth is, his love is powerful that he proved this when he sent his only son, while you were unworthy, to make you worthy. God, in all his mercy, sent this what I call fearless love, knowing that the vast majority of your life you would spend in sin and reject his love because when we sin we reject god's love we push him away but yet his love was fearless that in the light of rejection god still loves you i faced difficulties in my life i found myself in horrible situations i found myself in times of my life that I had situations beyond my control. I found that I was neck deep in sin in certain points of my life. I had walked outside of God's will. I was afflicted before I, had, before I had ever seen that God loved me. I was in sin. I was doing things I shouldn't have done. I faced difficulties in my childhood that I wouldn't want any of you to face. But yet in it all, at 26 years old, I could say, I still know that God loves me. Because he's brought me through some of the darkest times of my life. He's brought me through the times where I thought I had nowhere else to go. And it was true because I went to God. When I tried making my own decisions and living my life the way I wanted to. And I walked away from God's will five days out of seven of the week. Just like many of you. God still loved me. And it wasn't just on Sunday when I was in church and the pastor was preaching. And Stephen J. Plaza was playing a nice little rhythm on the piano. Shout out. He loved me regardless. He loved me in spite of. He loves you even in the mess you're in. You have to realize so many of you who don't serve God and don't live right and don't do what God desires, he looks on you with eyes of pity because he knows you're missing the greatest moments of your life. By embracing the lowest moments of your life. Somebody understand today. Through it all, God loved me. I can say this, and I can say it with all boldness and honesty, that through all the trials and tribulations I've ever faced in my life, from the day I was born to the day I stand before you, God loved me. Paul made his belief of God's love known. He declared in Romans 8.35 that nothing can or will separate us from God. But you see, in verse 30, he gives a a bunch of examples. The things Paul mentions are all the extremes of their kind. And I'll, I'll explain that in a second. Paul declares neither death nor its opposite extreme, life, can separate you from God. When you're living a life after God... Death can't separate you from God, and neither can life. His love is so strong that after we die, he takes us with him. And realize in this life, when you make mistakes, and when you hurt yourself, and when you sin, and you live outside of God's will, even in your life, there's nothing you could do that could separate you from God's love. Nothing. What you did yesterday, how you yelled at your wife or husband this morning, How you cussed at your kids a couple of hours ago. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Because it is powerful. Please understand that bad decisions you've made in life cannot and will not disqualify you from God loving you. Life in and of itself is God's gift to you because he loves you. He loves you. Someone say, God loves me. He loves you. And likewise, if you cannot keep If you cannot keep your word to God, he loves you. When you fall and fail, he loves you. You see, human nature tells us that when we mess up, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. God isn't there for me. Even when you die. When my father died, man, I tell you, it was sad for a couple of weeks, but reality really began to set in. Philippians 121, oh, death, where is your sting? Or rather, understand this. To live is Christ. To die is gain. The Apostle Paul writes that in Philippians 121, to live is Christ. To die is gain. What does that mean? That when I live for Christ, when I die, I don't lose. I always gain. You just missed that. That's, that's the place, right? to just go nuts that I don't lose I win Satan could have taken my body and racked it with pain however he chose to take us or to try his best to hurt us and in the end I am God's he loves me there's no separation I come bearing exciting news today That Paul says not even angels or principalities can separate you from the love of God. He pulls it from one extreme to the other. From God's army to Satan's army, neither of them can separate you from the love of God. None of them have the power to do it. No angel can lie to you and no demon can tell you a truth that can separate you from God. There's nothing they can ever do to make God love you less. There's nothing they can ever say because we see from the book of Job that Satan before God and he accuses the believer. There's nothing Satan could ever say about you to God that could make God love you less. I need you to understand this today. For the next few minutes I just want to talk about how God loves you. Not the present nor the future can ever make his love separate from you. Nothing you've done now, in the past, or the future, from one extreme to the other, nothing can take God off of you. How can you fall away from God if he's embraced you so tightly? I need you to understand this today. If you keep falling away, I would challenge you in this moment, you've not accepted God's love. Because when you accept that love, it embraces you so tight. It embraces you so lovingly that you cannot fall away. Paul continues to declare that no power meaning satanic or human government, could ever come close to destroying God's love for you. There is nothing Satan could ever say and do to steal God's love away from you. Is anybody getting this today? No height, no depth, nothing could ever, ever, ever separate you from God. It's like the old song says, ain't no mountain high enough. Oh, somebody got the Motown vibe real quick. Ain't no river wide enough. Ain't no valley low enough to keep God from loving you. There's nothing in existence, Paul sums it up. If anything I've missed, there's nothing in all of creation that could ever separate you from God and his love. Too many have believed that there was something you did or could have done to make God love you less. Now here's the key. Here's the really, here's the real, the meat of this whole thing. Paul is talking about God's love for you. What he's not talking about is your love for God. Big difference. The issue in life is not if God loves us, but rather the issue is your lack of love for God. We have clear, concise proof from God's word and his actions that he loves us and he doesn't want to separate from us. The issue is how many times do you walk away from his love? How often do you live outside of His love? Or how often do you not love God at all? In your actions, in your heart, in your words. How often uh, do we mistreat God and disrespect God? How often do we live in sin with no real care and completely okay with it? Oh, I'm just living my life the way I desire. My father told me the theme song of hell is Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. How often are you living outside of God's will? How often do you wake up and never talk to God, never pray, never read your Bible or think about God until Sunday morning and you hop into your religious car and come to church because that's what you do. With no real relationship with God, with no real love for God, how often does a week go by and you barely even study his word or talk to him in, 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 at any capacity? I'm not talking about your quick little five minute in the morning, God help me, I just, ran read out of things to say, I'm done. The question is not God's love for you. Church, it is your love for God or the lack thereof. Your lack of commitment can lead you to hell. Your lackadaisical way of loving God who's provided everything for you, including salvation. Your inability to, to turn your life over to him and surrender to him, friend, that will lead you to hell. Because if you've not embraced God's love, you've not embraced his son. And his son is the ticket to heaven. Not your good deeds, not your church attendance. There's people under the sound of my voice, and I'm so sorry to break it to you. I know Sandy might have been bad to you, but I guarantee you hell will be worse. I bet you you'll wish for a hurricane like Sandy when you find yourself trapped in eternity with no hope for release. Because you could not build a relationship with God. The problem is the vast majority of Christians don't spend time with Jesus. You don't pray. You don't read your Bibles. You don't cry out to God. You don't have a relationship with God. Husbands, I dare you to try it with your wives. Wives, I dare you to not communicate for a week with your husband. Your relationship would fall apart, but yet you expect to get to heaven on a Sunday morning ration of spirituality while you judge and gossip your brothers, while you sin all week long. You see, repentance means to have a changing of the mind that results into actions in your life. But yet you want to come and cling on to the grace of God that he won't hold your sin against you while you live your life the way you desire. But yet that's not how it works, friends. It works that you were so touched by the measure of love he displayed on the cross of Calvary. You pick your loser life off the ground and begin to change the way you live and change who you associate with and change what you're okay with. When you come to Christ, you're not You're not comfortable with sin no more. You don't want to drink no more. You don't want to do these things and that's showing God you love Him. The issue is not God's love. I've spent eight weeks telling you about God's love to tell you for one day about your lack of love for God. To tell you how your lack of love for God makes God cry. How your lack of love for God is kind of like spitting on the sacrifice of Christ. Your lack of love for God, you were unworthy. You were you were nothing. Me, I, I'm nothing. All of us, we were nothing compared to God, but yet He sent His Son. But He would live a life of perfection, and He would die. How often. Is your commitment to God less than stellar? How often are you running from his will and leaving his side? How often are you neck deep in sin and not wanting his love because his love makes you feel uncomfortable when you are aware of your sin? Well, somebody talked to me today. How often do you openly not care to even show God any type of love? Truth be told, it's too often. How often have we cursed his name and blamed him for everything bad that ever came your way? The issue is our love for God. For God's love is never ending, but your love seems to end as soon as things don't go your way or as soon as you walk out these doors. You can't change yourself. You can't change the world. You can't change yourself. Stop asking God to change your husband. You can't change the same old attitude you've had your whole life. How do you expect God to change your children? If you got a nasty attitude, parents, your kids are going to have it. If you keep on cursing, your kids are going to curse. Because if they don't say you break the curse, why should they? Too often we have, it's a a known statistical fact, the majority of believers in New England stayed carnal for their entire lives. Not here. God has called us to be the people who raise the standard who set the bar, that we will change and we will have a revolution of people who will change their lives for God. People who stand up for righteousness. I'm so sorry if I'm offending you today. I'd rather hurt your feelings than lose your soul. I'm so tired of of these sissy Christians who can't hear the truth anymore. Oh, you offended me. Back when I was a kid, my father called the conviction. Because when you preach the real love of God, the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. And there's only fear when you're living in sin because you're afraid of what you have to let go of in order to embrace God's love. And you've fallen so in love with the things that you love to do that are so outside of God's will that the thought of letting it all go doesn't sit right. And so you say, well, who is the pastor to judge you? I'm not judging you. I love people, don't judge me. The Bible says, judge not, ye shall not be judged. That's the scripture they all know, can't even tell me where it's at. But the Bible says it somewhere. Uh, listen, the judge passes a sentence on people. I don't know. See, if someone says, you, you really shouldn't curse, don't judge me. I'm a work in progress. And you're judging me. Now God's going to judge. Listen, if I judged you, I would have said, listen, go to hell right now. Go to hell right now because that's what's going to take you. That's what a judge does. He passes a sentence. You can guess you can call me the jury. I'm going to see if you're guilty or not. Yeah, you're guilty. Judging has nothing to do with what you think it does. You take your democratic mind and you put it into a book that is built on kingdom principles, and you could never, ever, ever understand the Bible with a democratic mind. God's word is sovereign and complete, no debating about it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't sit there and get your translation. I love it when preachers say, I was talking to some other day. I love when preachers say, like, you know, I don't preach nobody else's messages. I only preach what God gives to me. Listen, let me tell you something. We're all preaching somebody else's message because the message should be the same. And the problem is too many preachers preach too much garbage and bull from the pulpit. They talk about the bubbles of heaven and everything else. Why don't you preach the word of God the way it is written? Why don't you preach the way it is written? I don't care what you think, you know. Tell me what the Bible says. And what the Bible says is nothing can separate me from God's love when I walk in his will. When I am the elect of God, Romans chapter 8 declares I have to live a life full of the spirit of God. Because the carnal mind, Romans 8, cannot please God. And maybe it doesn't bother you. Maybe it does not bother you that you don't please God. But, friend, it should bother you and it should deeply bother you. If you're struggling with the same sins you've been struggling with for five years, listen, I ask almost every new believer all the time when's the last time you found yourself in a new sin? When's the last time you found yourself in a new sin? <laughs> Just think, it's always the same garbage. It might just be a different girl this time. might be a different guy. Maybe it's not weed now. Maybe it's crack. <laughs> maybe it's not Jack Daniels. It's just straight vodka. Whatever it is, it's always the same thing. When's the last time you were struggling with something new? I wish you could wake up tomorrow morning, but man, pastor, I got a new struggle because I beat that last one. Truth be told, the majority of you under the sound of my voice, and hey, you can call this judging again, but I guarantee you, if you think about it, it's true. You're struggling with the same demons you've been struggling with since you were a kid. Same lustful spirit. Same pornographic addiction. Same substance abuse problem. Same sexual immoral ways. Same. It's the same. It hasn't changed, but now, because you're saved, it just happens less often. That's not God's plan. And you know it's true. do you ever desire to get to the place where you're not struggling no more with the same things? If you think it'll get easier with time, truth be told, you will not grow stronger over time if you keep giving yourself poison. Poison being the sin. Don't you ever desire to reach a personal place where Paul is at of persuasion? Listen, I'm not not suggesting that you can be perfect for God. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is that you try your best to be the strongest you possible and not make provision for sin in your life and that you love God the way he loves you and that you reciprocate what he gave to you because if you do not, friend, I'm telling you hell is waiting for us. There's a hell to gain and a heaven to lose. We don't come here. I don't know, but there is a hell and a heaven. There is an eternity. You could not even put eternity into a per, a correct thought process or pattern because we've never experienced anything. Everything we know has an end. Your work, your sleep, everything, your time at the gym. your your computer games, your football seasons, your basketball season, everything comes to an end, summer, winter, spring, fall, everything comes to an end at some point, but eternity is forever, and that's what awaits us. Could you think of always, forever, being in a lake of fire? Tormented? Do you really desire that the You could not beat 60, 70 years of sin in your life that caused you an eternity in hell. The question today is not God's love. It's your love or the lack thereof for God. Paul declared something. Paul said, I am persuaded. Paul had a personal persuasion because of what God had done in his life. Paul had a personal persuasion of God's goodness and God's grace and God's love. And in light of that, Paul had a personal victory because he was personally persuaded. And he loved God because of God's love. Friends, you have to come to a personal decision and a personal persuasion that God is totally and madly in love with you and he wants to spend the rest of his life with you. leading up to when I proposed to my wife I asked myself the same question over and over do I want to spend the rest of my life with this girl I wasn't second guessing myself I was reassuring myself and every time I thought about her I said yes 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 and when I proposed to her I said it with all my heart I want to spend the rest of my life with you when God sent his son that was his proposition saying listen I want to spend the rest of eternity with He's not, kidding. he's serious. He's so serious about loving you. You can't have personal victory without a personal relationship with God. Listen, church, if you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, you're not studying, you're not seeking God on your own time outside these four walls, you will never, ever, ever be victorious. A believer with no prayer life isn't even a believer. you've got to talk to somebody to believe. A believer with, with no time reading the word of God, what are you? You're powerless. You're empty. You're fruitless. You can never pour out of something. Could you imagine trying to get soda out of an empty bottle? How can you have victory in Christ if you have no Christ in you? I know it sounds mean. It may sound like pastors being a little rough today. But hey, listen, I'd rather do this. I'd rather do this. And see you in heaven and say, oh, I'm so glad you made it. Sheila, I'm glad you're here with me. Angelie. I'm glad you're here with me. Manny, I'm glad you made it. I want to rejoice in heaven with all of you guys. I want to be able to say, we changed Bridgeport. We changed Stratford. We changed Milford. Man, look at all these thousands of souls that made him because I decided to serve God properly. Some of us have no personal relationship with God. I want you to be honest with yourself today. How often do you read your Bible? How often or how long do you pray when you do pray? Church, God is longing for a relationship with you. A relationship cannot accomplish a weekly victory. It just can't happen. Daily love for God. You have to give God a daily... daily devotional life and a daily worship life for in his great love in his great love he's done amazing things for you a relationship with God is the least we can give back to him it is in this relationship that your faith grows next week we're gonna start a series called when faith walks because God has desired that your faith would move your faith would be alive, and your faith would be daily growing. God does not desire you to be fruitless and faithless all the time, but God desires you to be full of faith. But faith comes by hearing the word, the word of God. And if daily you don't read your Bible, don't seek God, Parents, you have to be an example for your children. They should see you every morning on your knees in your living room praying, crying out to God. They should see you at night reading your Bible, putting God in priority. They should see you doing it. They should not see you cursing, smoking, drinking, acting a fool. They should see you crying out to God, seeking God, and reaching out to lives in your community. You should be a role model for your children, not just a parent. That's a whole other topic. I'll leave that alone. God loves you on purpose and for a reason. His love is amazing and it is accurate and full of promise. In his great love, God has done some amazing things for you. He showed us some fearless, amazing love. I love the way Charles Spurgeon, a famous theologian and preacher, put it. Talking of God, he says, He gave his son for you and for me. It is as though someone bartered a diamond to buy a common pebble from a brook or gave away an empire to purchase some foul thing not worthy of being picked off of a dunghill. But yet we are persuaded that God did it and that the love of God is most clearly seen in the fact that he gave his son Jesus Christ for you and for me. This person declared that that it's like The equivalent of God sending Son for you is like someone trading away a great empire for something not even worth being picked off of the top of a pile of crap. That's the translation in our language today. We're so far beneath God that we don't even count. But yet in His immense love, He sent His Son to die for us so that we could have eternal life. If we could just close these lights off and I want you just to stand to your feet. I want you just to, come on, close your eyes and bow your heads. If I can get my musicians to the front. Come on, just bow your heads right now and look around you. And I want you to do something different. I want you to do something a little different today. I want you to begin to right now think of your life. Take a moment and reflect the way God has loved you. Come on, that's to Just bow your heads, close your eyes. Think right now about how God has loved you. When you were broke, he loved you. Provided for you sick he brought healing to your body when you had a child out of wedlock he covered you in love when you found yourself in an ungodly relationship he loved you through it and brought you out think about how many times God has loved you God has delivered you (coughs) think about how many times God has saved you pulled you out Come on, I dare you, as you begin to reflect over your life, I dare you to begin to thank God for that love. That's right. Thank you, God. You love me when I don't even deserve it. Thank you, God. You love me when I was a mess. Thank you, God. You protected me when I was drunk driving. Thank you, God. You covered me when I was sleeping around and I never got noticed. Thank you, God. You covered me, God. Thank you. When I mismanaged my money, you brought me out of it, God. When I found myself in a mess, you brought me out every time, God. When I was in sin, you pulled me out and brought me into your kingdom. Thank you, God. I dare you right now to actually show God some appreciation for what he's done for you. God, you've touched my life in so many ways. You've you've moved. You've helped me, God. you brought me out. you brought me in when I needed to be, God. His love never fails. His love never fails. Come on with every head bowed, every eye closed.